good a good deal of the media's uh, 2013 uh, focus was understandably centered on a number of critical domestic issues. We talked about, about them a lot here on this show. I mean, things from the relentless battles over the budget to the sequester to the government shutdown itself and the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare for short, uh, continuing shift of the nation's core values away from traditional marriage. And meanwhile, an exponential growth of celebration of the advances of uh, same-sex, gay, lesbian, transgender movement. On and on that list could go. But as my uh, guest this hour reminds us, it's been a dramatic year as well outside this country, specifically in the Middle East. Joel Rosenberg is New York Times bestselling author of several novels, Last Jihad, Last Days, Ezekiel Option, and many more. As a matter of fact, his latest novels entitled Damascus Countdown, a novel, and uh, his uh, nonfiction books include Epicenter, Inside the Revolution, Implosion, Israel at War, and The Invested Life. Uh, he has other things to his credit we'll mention as well in a moment. But, Joel, thank you for joining me today. It's been a while. It has, Don. Good to be with you. Happy New Year. And the same to you. And I was very interested in uh, your column in which you said, look, there are some things happening in the Middle East that do deserve and must have our attention. You say it's a dramatic year, and you have a list of five most important events in the epicenter. Uh, let's uh, let's go to those one by one. Great. I'll mention the five briefly, and then we can go to any one or all of them that you want to get into. It, it was a very dramatic year in 2013. Uh, I put at the top of the list, uh, Syrian death toll keeps climbing amidst horrific civil war and camp chemical weapons use in Damascus. Uh, I think that, uh, of all the events in the Middle East, uh, it was the number one uh, worst situation and the most dramatic situation last year with the Syrian civil war. Second, Iran beguiles West with charm offensive as it moves closer to the bomb. Obviously, that's been a big issue for a long time, uh, but the, the, uh, the election of uh, so-called uh, moderates uh, Hassan Rouhani uh, as the new president of Iran and, and Ahmadinejad stepping down uh, seems to have captured everybody's attention and is, is, I think is, has lured in uh, even our own leaders here in the United States to think that something significant has changed in Iran. Again, we can talk about that more if you'd like. Number three on my list of five is Saudis preparing to purchase Pakistani nuclear warheads. Uh, as Iran has gotten closer to building nuclear weapons and the West has not uh, taken decisive action to stop them, uh, more and more reporting is coming out of the Middle East that the, the, the Saudi Arabian government is, is all but has purchased uh, these nuclear warheads from Pakistan, which already has uh, more than 100 of them, some say up to 150 or 200 of their own. Number four was the Egyptian counter-revolution, which brought down... Uh, the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, I would say the biggest story of 2012 was the rise of the Muslim Brotherhood and, of course, the so-called election of, um, of President Morsi uh, and Mohammed Morsi, uh, the radical Islamic jihadist who was a top leader in the Muslim Brotherhood. That was the big story of 2012. 2013, of course, was the Egyptian military uh, bringing down the Morsi regime and arresting the Muslim Brotherhood leadership and uh, and and make and outlawing the Brotherhood as a movement, um, and of course now General Sisi, is, uh, the head of the Egyptian military, is the head of Egypt. And number five on that list 
was one that really very few people noticed. But uh, my headline was, Israeli leader declares Bible prophecies coming true in our lifetime. And uh, I think that was my favorite of the five, but I... I couldn't list it higher than uh, than the other dramatic events that were going on, but that was Prime Minister Netanyahu speaking at the United Nations General Assembly in September, uh, quoting from the book of Amos, talking about the prophetic rebirth of the state of Israel in our lifetime, and saying that Bible prophecies are coming true in our lifetime. It really not something we usually hear from Israeli leaders uh, or from any world leader, um, even in the West, those who are Christian leaders don't talk much, if at all, about Bible prophecy. Well, I want to come back. Yes, I want. It's an incredible year. You're right, and uh, I do agree. You've, uh, I think, listed them in proper order in terms of significance, and uh, and that's arguable as well. Any one of them is pretty, pretty profound. But let's sure. go back to the serious situation. Uh, the statistics there are really staggering and uh, ongoing, and you say that. A terrible evil has been unleashed. Syria is collapsing. It's hard to imagine putting the country back together anytime soon. And uh, in light of all of that, where are we as a, as a nation? Where is the United States? Where is the White House? Where is the State Department on this issue at this moment? Well, that's a great question. And that's a, uh, an article I'm developing uh, to publish soon as what are the trend lines in 2014? What should we be watching for? But uh, the short version is, again, just taking the snapshot, more than 130,000 Syrians have died over this uh, almost three-year civil war. Two million, two million Syrians have reportedly fled their country. Uh, they're, they're taking up refuge in Lebanon and Jordan and elsewhere, but that's, a, that's, that's an enormous number uh, with an added five million Syrians who are what's called internally displaced. They fled their homes, but not yet the borders of Syria. And I think we may be witnessing uh, the beginning of the end of the geopolitical nation-state that we have long known as Syria. And when I say long, I mean that's less than 100 years. It's an artificial creation of the, uh, of the French and the British after the fall of the Ottoman Empire uh, back in the early part of the 20th century. The United States, of course, uh, under President Obama, really vacillated in 2013 about what to do. As you recall, he had uh, made a very strong statement the president had that uh, the red line was the use of chemical weapons, that the use of which would trigger an, an American military uh, response against anyone that used those weapons. When, in fact, those weapons were used, uh, the president was poised to take that action and then really stunned everybody, including his own personal uh, closest advisors, by hesitating and then went to Congress, which overwhelmingly was about to uh, uh, vote down uh, such a, a military action. Not because everybody in Congress necessarily thought that it was uh, a good thing to, to use chemical weapons. Nobody does. But, they, but many were unsure whether the president had a plan, a strategy, uh, the wherewithal to actually see it through, and an exit strategy. So we are left with Syria hardly being in the news. And uh, on that last point, uh, Joel, has it been 
finally determine just who was really using the weapons, both sides accusing the other? Yeah, every every report that I've seen, including uh, a U.N. report, and I have, you know, questions, as everyone uh, probably who listens to your show, concerns at times whether you can trust uh, U.N. data. But I think over time, uh, U.S., British, Israeli, and other U.N. nations uh, concluded that, yes, chemical weapons were used. Uh, there's a debate about how many people died because of those weapons or happened to die in other attacks that were uh, happening at the same time. But I don't think there's – and I talked to former CIA uh, senior officials, including a former director of the CIA, two of them actually, about this. Everyone that I've talked to feels certain that chemical weapons were used. The big question wasn't whether they were used. It's whether uh, the U.S. foreign policy has suffered because we had such a vacillating uh, topsy-turvy approach to how we were going to handle it, and in the end um, uh, didn't take military action. Now, I'm not saying the military action was the right thing to do. I, I think that's an open question. But when you say you're going to do it, and then you say we might do it, and then you say, well, if we strike, it'll be a very, very small pinprick strike. It, it, nobody understood what the president or the secretary of state or defense were talking about. And I think that sadly uh, undermined uh, credibility for this administration in a very important part of the world at a very important time. We're talking with Joel Rosenberg for these moments, prolific author and researcher and uh, writing from a wonderful uh, perspective as uh, the son of a Jewish father and a Gentile mother, evangelical Christian himself. And uh, he has much more, as I said, to his credit that we really don't have time to highlight but would uh, deserve doing so. Uh, he's the founder of the Joshua Fund. And uh, also you can check his work out at his website, joelrosenberg.com. And I assume you can find this column still itself there, can you not, Joel, with these five items listed? Yes, if you just go to joelrosenberg.com and click on the blog, then yes, uh, it, it's, uh, they're all highlighted right there. Well, let's take this last moment to talk about that uh, fifth and final point. The others merit ten attention, too. Perhaps we can have you back again soon to talk more about these things. But uh, Netanyahu himself referencing uh, uh, biblical prophecy and how significant that is for him and for Israel. But as you say, a very few leaders, if any, on the political stage have been... Uh, brave enough to do such a thing well that's right you think of president george w bush very outspoken about his evangelical christian faith never talked about bible prophecy as i'm that i'm aware of and i watched it all pretty closely other christian leaders uh in, uh in in britain or elsewhere don't just don't talk these ways but prime minister netanyahu to the entire world leadership at the united nations in september said quote in our time the biblical prophecies are being realized. And he went on to quote directly uh, from the prophet Amos uh, about how Israel, the Jewish people, will rebuild the, uh, the, the ruined cities and inhabit them and plant vineyards and, and, uh, and gardens and so forth. And that's exactly what has happened in our lifetime, uh, beginning in the early 20th century, then, of course, May 14th, 1948, the, the day that Israel became a nation again, uh, not just legally, but prophetically. And, uh, you know, Prime Minister Netanyahu is uh, not a particularly religious person. He's Jewish, of course, but not a religious Jew. But he's got a, he has a growing interest in the scriptures and in Bible prophecy and has been quoting uh, 
numerous times in, in recent years uh, in major speeches of his uh, from the Bible, even at Auschwitz, the uh, Nazi death camp in Poland, several years ago, quoted from Ezekiel chapter 37 about the story of the Valley of the Dry Bones and said that those prophecies about dry bones and the despair of the Jewish people turning into the rebirth of the state of Israel, that those prophecies had specifically come true in our lifetime. It's an extraordinary thing and something we should be really praying for, uh, the Prime Minister and his family, uh, that they continue to study the Word of God, as would everybody in the Middle East. Well said. Thank you, Joel. Let's talk again soon. Thank you. God bless. Joel Rosenberg, prolific author, as I say, and... uh, a researcher of these matters, someone who's tracked these uh, things for many years and continues to do so. And you can find his work. His books are uh, well worth your paying attention to and reading. Uh, his website is joelrosenberg.com, joelrosenberg.com. We'll have him back to talk more about these matters in days ahead. We'll be back in a moment here on the Don Crow Show.